0: the first three verses. The Bible says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. The title of the message this evening is this, The Love-Faith Cycle. The love-faith cycle. We're given here a cycle in these verses. And it's a cycle of knowing love, having faith, and then giving love. And then it all repeats. And so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll bring that out of the passage this evening along with many other things. And uh, 1 John chapter 5 is a chapter of much doctrine. In fact, the first four chapters we're told basically to love each other in no uncertain terms. Chapter 5 gives us the doctrine. And boy, it is a heavy, heavy doctrine chapter and a vital one to our faith. And so over the remainder of our time in 1 John, we're going to be looking at a lot of heavy doctrine. If you've been going to, through our discipleship course, you may have seen some of this material before. But we all need to be reminded of the tenets of What we believe and we'll look to make some applications along the way as well But We'll dive in tonight and look at the love and faith cycle. Let's pray lord. We pray that you would help uh, Make your word uh, uh, Understandable tonight Lord, uh, use me as your vessel and as your servant lord. I'm a nobody nothing uh, But lord, you're everything and you can take a nobody nothing and do something um, uh, great And so lord, I pray I just be an instrument tonight. You'd use me you'd speak through me But lord, you'd get all the credit And Lord, I pray our folks tonight would have a better understanding of Scripture. May they not be deceived by apostates or by false uh, teachers. Lord, may they know their Bible doctrine. Lord, thank you for giving us a Bible that teaches us and shows us what's right. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, for the sake of time this evening, and with this being a long week coming up, and uh, some of us are going to be here late tonight working with the team group and and then getting things set up for tomorrow. I'm going to work really work to keep my message quite short this evening. Uh, but um, with that said, we're going to forego the introduction and just jump right into the outline. So if you have an, an outline there, I encourage you to take notes. Notice point number one, our requirement. Our requirement. Look back with me at 1 John chapter number five and look at verse number one. Notice the first verse, first word of the verse. Can we read that out loud together? Here we go. Ready? Whosoever now the first eleven verses of first John chapter five have as much doctrine packed into them as any eleven ver- words I mean let me back up and say it again the first eleven words of first John chapter five have as much doctrine packed into them as any eleven words combined in the entire Bible. There is so much doctrine here this is a doctrine rich verse if you don 't know what the word doctrine means, it means teachings it means Uh, belief system. There's a lot here. Notice that first word, whosoever. Now, uh, there is a false doctrine that's being spread around Christianity. It's been spread around Christianity for years. And here it is, that only the elect get to go to heaven. That only those who God Four ordains, or four chooses, or pre-picks gets to go to heaven. Within this theory, there are those who are born on this earth that God already has plan to save them, and has created a way to save them, and by all means at some point in their lifetime will save them, and whether or not they want to be saved, at some point they're they're going to come to a grace, they call it irresistible grace, and they will not be able to reject the grace of God, and they will get saved. Whether or not they want to, they will get saved, and everyone else who God has not chosen well, they're going to have to die and go to a place called hell. Who knows what uh, the, uh, te- this teaching is? This is Calvinism. Calvinism believes that God pre chose some to go to heaven and the rest are destined for hell. And I just want to say tonight that that is a false doctrine. False doctrine. Did God foreordain? Did God elect folks to go to heaven? And you cannot deny that there are verses in the Bible that talk about that. But... Please understand how it works. Now just take a moment here and teach this. God exists outside of the realm of time. That means right now God is here with us, but God also is all the way back in the beginning of time. God is living uh, uh, before the Garden of Eden and the heavens and earth were ever made. And God is also living at the end of time when the heaven and earth are destroyed and the new heaven and the new earth are made for us to live in. God is not restrained by time. God can be in all places at once. So uh, with that in mind, please understand, that God stood at the end of time and He looked back to the beginning of time and He looked out and saw everyone who on their own free will, by their own volition, chose Him. And then God said, I choose those who I know will choose Me on their own. Are we all together this evening, are we understanding that God gives an open invitation for anyone and everyone To be saved, you say, well, pastor, can you back that up with Scripture? Oh, absolutely I can. I don't have enough time this evening to back it up with all the Scripture that's out there. Well, let's just look at a few verses together. And notice again, 1 John 5, 1, that first word, whosoever. Turn in your Bibles to John. We're going to look at three different passages in John here. John chapter number 3 and verse number 15. John chapter 3 and verse number 15. Look here. That whosoever, there's that word again, believeth in him should not perish. It does not say that if the elect believe in him or those pre-chosen believe in him, that whosoever, notice it is an open-ended invitation. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the cosmos, the world, the root word there for world is the Greek word cosmos, and that word means all of mankind. For God so loved all of mankind that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him. There's that word again. It is an open invitation for all. Turn over to John chapter 4 and verse number 14. Here we find Jesus speaking with a woman at Sychar's well, and the Samaritan woman who was shocked uh, at his speaking with her, and he uses the analogy of her drawing water out of the out of the uh, well there. Look at verse 14. But whosoever whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Whosoever. Turn over to John chapter 11 and verse number twenty six, John chapter eleven and verse number twenty six. Jesus says here, I'll begin reading for sake of time, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Again, notice this is an open ended invitation to any human being. Believest thou this the verse says turn over to John chapter twelve and verse number forty six. You hear Jesus says in John twelve forty six he says I am uh, I am come a light into the world that Whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. It's whosoever will may come. Acts chapter 2 verse 21 says this, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. One more for you. Turn over to Romans chapter 10 and verse number 11. Romans chapter 10 And verse number 11, we're looking at the requirement, but before we get to the requirement, we first need to understand who the requirement is for. It's for whosoever. It's open-ended. It's for everyone. Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 11. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. There's that word again. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is for whosoever. uh, It's for anyone. Anyone can be saved. Uh, I, I have this question for those that push out a Calvinist doctrine. And here it is. How can God be honest when Jesus Himself said that we are not to be a respecter of persons? If Jesus preordained or pre-chose some to go to heaven and for the rest to go to hell, wouldn't that be God showing favoritism? Wouldn't that be God violating the very truth that He gave us when He told us not to show favoritism uh, uh, one toward the other? And listen, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter your country of background or your culture or your wealth class. The ground at the cross, the ground at the foot of the cross is level for everyone. Amen? Whosoever will may come. God says, look, I died on the cross and I did it for all of humanity. It's not just for the Jews. And it's not just for the Gentiles. It's for everyone. That first word there of 1 John chapter 5. Whosoever. Go back to the second word of 1 John chapter 5. Notice there verse 1. Whosoever believeth. Believeth. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? Um, there is a belief that does nothing for you. Now, I believe that uh, at least those in the room tonight, everyone is on board with what I'm preaching. But there may be a person here who isn't on board. There, there, there are probably several folks online who don't understand what I'm about to say. And then for those of you here who are saved, listen, it helps to hear someone explain these things because it helps you articulate your faith. Amen. And so don't be bored and don't think this is too elementary or too basic. We all need to be reminded of the elementary of our faith. Amen? There is a belief that does nothing for you. Um, James chapter 2 and verse 19. Actually, the book of James from 1 John 5 is just a few books to the left. Can you turn there for me? James chapter 2. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John. So probably seven, eight, nine pages to the left there, you find the book of James. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus. And James, at this time of the writing of this book, was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And it had been persecuted. Many people had left. The church had shrunk in size. And James was assigned, or rather chosen to be, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And so, look at James chapter 2. Look at verse 19. It says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. All right, let me ask you a question here. This is not a trick question. Look back at the verse. Do the devils believe? Yes or no? says they do, right? Are the devils going to heaven? So is it possible for a human to believe that Jesus is who he said he was and still not go to heaven? The answer is Yes. You say, well, Pastor, um, then how do I believe? This just got a whole lot more complicated. And now I'm, just, I'm very confused. Let me explain it to you this way. Many people believe the facts about the Lord Jesus Christ. They accept the fact in their head that he was born of a virgin. They accept the fact that he was born the sinless Son of God. They accept the fact that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. Again, in their head, in their head... They accept the fact that He arose from the grave. They believe these facts in their head, but they have not believed with their heart. With their heart. What does it mean to believe with your heart? You see, to believe with your head is just to accept a set of facts. To believe with your heart, that involves your emotions. That involves your will. That involves your Uh, Your mental capacity. That involves your being. To believe and trust in Jesus with all your heart. I'd like to try to maybe explain it to you this way. And bear with me if you've heard this illustration before. It just fits so well here that I feel the need to use it. Let's say that my family invited your family on a getaway to Hawaii. And our families were going to go to Hawaii... And um, I bought all the tickets. I got your name and your birthday and all the information I needed, and and I put it in the um, uh, you know on the online portal. And we got the tickets bought. And, and uh, the day comes where it's time to fly to Hawaii, and you've never flown on a plane before. And we get to the airport. We get through TSA. Amen. We get our shoes and belt back on, and we get back to our gate. And I give you your ticket, and I say to you. Do you believe that plane out there is going to fly to L.A. and then on to Hawaii? And you look at your tickets and you see that there's a flight to L.A. and on to Hawaii. You see it's the same plane number. And you look up at the little message board there uh, above the ticket counter. And you see that it says exactly um, uh, what that says. And you look out and see the plane. and, And you say to me, yes, I believe that plane is going to fly to L.A. and then on to Hawaii. And then the day, the time comes for us to board the plane and the stewardess calls our boarding group to get on. And all of us pick up our carry-on bags, and we go over to get in line, and I look at you, and you're still sitting down. And I say to you, well, aren't you going to get on the plane? And you say, well, no, I'm not. And I say, but I bought the ticket. And you say, well, thank you very much, but I'm not getting on that plane. I don't trust that plane. I'm too scared to get on. You see the difference there? You're believing in your head that that plane is going to go to Hawaii. But until you're willing to get on the plane, you're not trusting. You're not trusting the plane. You see, it's not enough to say that I believe in my head that Jesus Christ is born of a virgin, the Son of God. He died a vicarious death. He rose from the dead. It's not enough to believe it in our head. We must believe it In our heart. We must put our total weight, our total trust, our total reliance that Jesus is who He said He was. Number one, we see our requirement. What is the requirement? Whosoever believeth. Number two, notice... Our Redeemer. Our Redeemer. Let's look back at 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. I had said at the beginning of the message that there's more doctrine in the first 11 words of this verse than maybe any other 11 words in the entire Bible. There might be some passages that rival it, but there aren't very many that outdo it, if any at all. Look back at verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. We have become so accustomed to hearing the two names, Jesus and Christ, together, that it is hard to hear one without the other. Uh, Some time back, uh, we had a a couple visiting our church, and they're not coming very much right now because his job has him working on Sundays, but we do still have some contact with him. And uh, he's from a Spanish background, and his name in Spanish is Jesus. Jesus. How how many of you here ever met someone named Jesus? Jesus. You know what? That feels a little odd to say, man, that guy's name in English is Jesus. That's weird. That's weird. Uh, You know, we hear the name of Jesus a lot at church, and unfortunately we hear it outside of church with his name taken in vain. But what name always follows, or really it's a title, what title follows Jesus? Christ. They're inseparable. You hear Jesus and you hear Christ. Jesus and Christ. Jesus Christ. Do you know that it hasn't always been that way? Do you know that for a long time that to, to admit verbally, to admit outwardly that you believe that Jesus was the Christ was a strong admission? Now, uh, the question I want to ask you this evening is not just do you believe, but do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? That He is the Christ? Do you Have you put your faith, trust in the fact that that he is the Christ. Now, on that half sheet outline, I gave you a whole bunch of Bible verses we're not going to review tonight. And I, I gave you those because I'm going to sort of give you the history here of the Bible. And those verses back up what I'm about to say. So if what I say interests you or piques your interest, please by all means later go and look over those verses. Um, it is not very difficult to prove that the man Jesus of Nazareth existed. Plenty of secular history books Uh, would show that Jesus of Nazareth really did live. If you struggle to believe whether or not there was a man named Jesus of prominence who came from Nazareth, uh, 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 then all you have to do is go and look at our calendar. Our calendar switched from B.C. to A.D. because of the man of Jesus of Nazareth. He was quite a powerful figure. But what does it mean to admit that Jesus is the Christ? Well, that word Christ in Greek... uh, It is the same word as the word translated Messiah from the Hebrew. Messiah and Christ are the same person. Christ means the Holy One, the Anointed One, the Chosen One, or the Messiah. But what even does that mean? Anointed for what? Holy or separated from what or who? You say He's the Chosen One. Chosen to do what? Well, to be able to accurately answer the question, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. You know the story, right? Uh, Adam and Eve they sin, they eat the fruit they're not supposed to eat, and they choose um, they choose to disobey God. You know the story, right? And then they hide, and they're embarrassed about their nakedness, and and uh, and God says to them, "Why were you hiding?" And they say, "Uh, "Well, we realized we were naked." And God says, "Who told you you were naked?" And and they said, uh, then He said, "Did you eat of the fruit?" And they said, "Well, we did." And then God begins to divvy out the punishments. And you know the story, right? Adam blames Eve. And then what does Eve do? Eve blames the serpent. Isn't that what we do when we're wrong? We always deflect and we play the blame game, right? I do it at times. You do it at times if we're honest with ourselves. And, you know, it's never my fault. If I did something wrong, it's someone else's fault. And uh, it's a good day when we get to the place where we stop doing that. But God comes down and he gives Adam his punishment and Eve her punishment. And then what does he say to the serpent? He says this. He says, "He, uh, he says um, there's going to be a child birthed through Eve. And that child, you're going to bruise its heel. But that child is going to crush your head. What was God telling Adam and Eve? God was saying that there's going to be a promised one who will deliver you from the evils of darkness. And as the Old Testament unfolds, that idea of who the Messiah is, we, we begin to get more and more and more details. Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham uh, that the chosen one or the Messiah will come through him as in his family as God is going to start a new race through him. We now know them as the Israelites. And then God promised Judah. This is uh, Abraham's grandson. God promised, or great grandson rather. God promised Judah that he would have uh, a, a son who would be a king who would be the snake killer. He would kill the snake. He would crush the head of the snake. He would be that Messiah. He would be a king that would come through the line of Judah. And then comes mighty David. Onto the scene. And maybe David is that king who will sit on the throne and he'll overcome evil and he'll, he'll be struck by the serpent, but he'll crush the head of the serpent. But was David the one that was going to overcome uh, the serpent? No. We find that David was overcome by evil instead of being the one that would overcome evil with righteousness. But God did make a promise to David that the, this Messiah would come through him. Can you see here how that God has promised Adam and Eve of a, of a coming Messiah who would deliver them from the curse and bondage of sin? And then Abraham, and then Judah, and then David, and the Israelites were looking for this, this 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 king to come through the line of David and David's children would sit on the throne and would rule, but you know they were all chumps. They were all corrupt. They were all sinners. They would all fail and Israel would fall into ruin and then Babylon would come in and carry them away into captivity. And you know what? The people here, hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, have been looking for this Messiah and he still hasn't showed up and they're beginning to lose faith because all of these kings have failed them. But the prophets weren't done preaching. In fact, as Babylon is carrying away the Israelites, the prophets are proclaiming louder and louder, no, the Messiah will come, the Messiah will come. And then we get the book of Isaiah and all of the laying out of the prophecies of the first coming of Christ. And then the Old Testament closes and God quits speaking to people. And we have 400 silent years. Now, you've probably heard that before, right? For 400 silent years between the Old Testament... And the New Testament. And to you, it's just a number. Anybody know how old America is? We're less than 250 years old. And we think of George Washington as being ancient. George Washington lived 250 years ago. We're not talking 250 years. We're talking 400 years. And then on the scene comes the Messiah. And his name is Jesus. He's not born through a mom and a dad. He's just born through a mom, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is the promised Messiah. He hung on the cross. And on the cross, He took away the penalty and curse of the serpent. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You know what happened on the cross? The old serpent, the devil, he struck the heel of Jesus and he killed him. But Jesus, through the cross, would crush the head of Satan. And you know what? Jesus would ultimately win because three days later, he would stand up and defeat death. He'd defeat hell. He would defeat the grave. And he lives forevermore. And he is the one that is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ. He is our Redeemer. He is the one who died for your sins. And the question this evening to all of those listening, to everyone in the earshot of me tonight is this, have you put your heart's trust in faith that Jesus is the Messiah? He is the Christ. He is the Redeemer that wants to take away your sins. Oh, He is willing and ready to redeem you, but let's not forget the requirement. You must believe. You must believe. So, you see, it's not believing plus your good works. It's not believing plus being moral. It's not believing plus being a good person. No, it's believing and receiving. Uh, that alone is your ticket into heaven. We see, We see our requirement. Number two, we see our Redeemer. Number three, notice, our regeneration. Now, that's a big word. Look back with me at 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 1. Look here. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, look at this next part of the verse, is born of God. What does it mean to be regenerated? That sounds like a, it almost sounds like a sci-fi word, does it not? You think of Star Trek or Star Wars and someone gets killed and they spawn back or they're regenerated. It's an odd word, but it's a theological word. It's a biblical word. And the word to regenerate means to be made anew or made alive again. Look back at verse number 1. Whosoever believing that Jesus is the Christ is regenerated or is born of God. Turn over to Titus chapter 3. That would be to the left from 1 John as well. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. And so Hebrews is the biggest book back that way. You get to Hebrews, look back, two books, Philemon is just one chapter, and then you get to Titus. Titus. And look at the third chapter, and look at the fifth verse. Here we're told that salvation has nothing to do with our works. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to His mercy, He saved us. Look here. By the washing of being born again, being born of God, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Alright? Turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and let's look at verse 1. We were just in John 3 a few minutes ago. I'm making you work a little bit tonight. I'm trying to keep you non-nap takers awake. Amen? And uh, those of you that didn't get a nap in, I'm trying to keep you awake. By the way, if you didn't get a nap today, uh, this afternoon, I'm with you. I didn't get a nap either, and so if I can stay awake, you can as well. If, if I do fall asleep, just throw something at me, and I promise I'll wake up. Okay? John chapter 3, and look at verse number 1. And here we find Jesus having an encounter with a man who is moral and religious. Moral and religious. Look here. He was moral and religious, but he was on his way to hell. You understand that tonight? Being moral gets nobody into heaven. Being religious gets nobody into heaven. This man was lost, and he needed to be regenerated. He needed to be made anew again in Christ. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees. He was religious. His name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, meaning a ruler of the religious sect. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Notice Jesus' response, and by the way, verse 2, that Nicodemus is acknowledging that Jesus Christ is different than he is, but he has given him props or credit for being religious. And Jesus says it has nothing to do with religion. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered and saith unto him, Verily, verily, or surely, surely, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, except a man be regenerated, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, thanks a lot, Nicodemus, for that graphic question. (laughs) Can a man enter into his mother a second time and be born again? No, you dummy! Of course a grown man can't go back into the womb of his mother and come out a second time. And I almost uh, think that Nicodemus asked it in sarcasm, as if to say, what kind of crazy thing are you saying, Jesus? Jesus? Look at, uh, let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or surely, surely, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water, that's speaking of the natural birth that happens when you're born, and of the Spirit, that's the spiritual birth of putting your faith and trust in Christ, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, Notice the capital S on spirit there. That's speaking of being born of the Holy Spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be regenerated. Ye must be born again. Check this quote out. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. Born twice. Die once. You see, you can either be born once of the water, that's your water birth. Uh, you, hear, you ever hear a woman say, her water broke? Some of you women here have had your water break, amen? I've never had my water break. I could use my water breaking, but my water is never broken, amen? Uh, the woman has her water break, and uh, that means she's going into, about to go into um, uh, delivery there and uh, starting to go through all that process. What do you call it? Well, going into labor, there's the term. Uh, again, I've never done it, so I don't know what it is. Uh, but a woman goes into labor and, and um, uh, born of the water. That's the physical birth. But my friend, if you want to make it to heaven, you need more than just a water birth. You need to be more than just be born of the water. You need to be born of the Spirit of God. That means you come to Him by faith and you trust Him in what happens. He regenerates you. He makes you new again in Him. Born twice, you die once. There's that physical death, but you escape the eternal death. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 words it this way, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is regenerated. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Okay, so we've looked at quite a bit of doctrine tonight. Let's turn our attention to the practical. You say, Pastor, that's great. That's been a good reminder of some things I've needed to know. uh, But, Pastor, give me something to go home on. Give me something I can hang my hat on to do better for the Lord. Well, let's look at number four and notice our responsibility. By the way, I never assume that anyone is saved. Ever. Um, I've seen pastor's wives get saved. I've seen deacon's wives get saved. I've seen some deacons that needed to get saved. Amen? And I'm serious. Not here. Not this church. But I've seen some deacons in other churches. I really question whether or not they were even saved. I've seen church members who've sat on pews in Baptist churches for 20, 30, 40 years break down and get saved. Uh, listen, you're, God's not going to check the membership role of the Baptist church you attend to see whether or not he's letting you into heaven. Uh, your name needs to be on the roll up yonder. Amen? How do you get your name on the roll up yonder? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. How have you put your faith and trust in Christ? You know what keeps folks from getting saved who've been in church a long time? Embarrassment. They're embarrassed. Well, well, what if everyone finds out that I've been lying this whole time? You know what? If someone is so immature that they would belittle you or think less of you because you got saved after you've been here for 15 or 20 years, someone would uh, would, would think less of you because you've been claiming to be a Christian for 15 or 20 years, then they're immature themselves and they may not even be saved either. You know, uh, the moment somebody hits hell's flame, They're going to have great regrets that they let brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so keep them from their faith, keep them from putting their faith and trust in Christ. You make sure you've called on him. The other thing I'll say here before we move on to our responsibilities, please understand that if you're here this evening and you've not yet put your faith and trust in Christ, it's very simple. There's no magic set of words you need to pray. You know, uh, there are a lot of people in the New Testament who got saved. The woman at the well. Uh, You have uh, the man who um, uh, was by the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. And uh, you have um, uh, Nicodemus there in John chapter 3. You have the thief on the cross. You have the man in Luke who uh, beat his chest and said, Be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what? Every single one of these people called out on the name of the Lord in a different way. But you know what they all did in common? They all in their prayer expressed that they believed that Jesus was their only way to heaven. If you're here tonight and you've not done that, will you come to a place where you'll bow your head and you'll trust Christ? Our responsibilities. Look back at 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now that's a little wordy, and uh, there's some words there that we don't normally use, so let me break that down for you. Letter A, notice, love for Christ. Love for Christ. And I'm going to show you this love-faith Love-faith cycle here in these verses. Look back at verse 1. And I'm going to emphasize uh, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to emphasize some phrases here. Look here. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Now, I talked about this a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, So, uh, but let me elaborate a little bit deeper. Notice here the cycle. We understand, we begin to grasp, not only in our head but with our emotions, the depth of God's love for us. You remember the first time you realized with the profundity of the event of what Christ did for you, how it made you feel? Boy, I've seen people bow their head and pray with tears in their eyes because they were so overwhelmed by God's love. By the way, you don't have to cry to get saved, but I'm just wondering tonight, how many of you did shed a tear when you got saved? Would you hold up your hand? You shed a tear when you got saved? Amen. Several of you. I shed tears when I got saved. And again, you don't have to cry to be saved. But those of you that did cry, can I tell you why you cried? Because for the first time in your life, it hits you like a ton of bricks how much God loved you. You know what, when you realize how much God loves you, the natural reflex is to believe. If someone would love me that much, how can I help, not help but believe, in a God who would allow His only Son to die for me? And you know what that faith does? It saves us. You see, we're saved by faith. But we get the faith to be saved when we understand the grace that God has showered down on us through the cross. So we have love that leads to faith. And then faith that leads to love. You see the cycle here? Now because I believe, by my very nature, I want to love God back. If Jesus Christ would be willing to die for me, not only do I want to believe and be saved, I want to love Him back. Let me ask you tonight, does your life show Christ that you love Him? Does your life show God that you're devoted to To Him. Oh, my friend, many Christians are busy chasing pursuits that are so vain and empty. Christians are so busy uh, um, uh, just uh, living their own life. And Christ plays second fiddle or takes a back seat to what we're really passionate about. I'm so glad that God didn't take a back seat when it came to my soul. I'm so glad that God didn't play second fiddle when it came to me being saved. Well, he made it a priority. If we really do understand God's love, it drives us to faith. And as we have faith, that drives us to love God. But the cycle doesn't stop there. Notice letter B, love for Christians, love for Christians. Look back at verse number 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, or all those who were born of God, or regenerated by God, loveth him also uh, that is begotten of him. Loveth him also that is begotten of him. So, that being, let me just uh, uh, take a moment and explain what that means. That means that if I have been born anew, welcome ladies, come on in. That means if I have been born anew in Christ... Uh, that if I have been regenerated or born into the family of Christ, then by my very nature, Sister Debbie, have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Missy Lizette, have you put your faith? Miss, Miss, uh, Miss Beverly, have you put your faith and trust in Christ? You know what that means? That means these are my sisters in the Lord. Brother Tom, you put your faith and trust in Christ? Zach, have you? These are my brothers in the Lord. By default, I am to love them. You know why? Because my Father loves them. My father loves them with a love I can't comprehend. I can't begin to understand. You know, um, one thing gets me irritated as a dad more than anything else. And that's when my kids mistreat each other. Boy, when they're mean and rude and they hurt each other, ooh, there's an ire that comes out of me real quick that they don't normally see. Can I tell you that when God sees one of his children hate on another one of his children, the ire of God comes out. God says, hey, I love. I love that child. Who are you not to love them? Hey, I I died for that child. Hey, I rebirthed that child anew. He's In my family, that's your sibling in the Lord. Hey, we might squabble sometimes. We may not even like each other at times. Uh, We may have a problem with each other at times. But at the end of the day, we are called to love each other. Why? Because if God loves them, so can we. You say, oh, but pastor, sister such and such, or brother such and such, they're not lovable. And you are? You know, God loved me when I wasn't lovable. God looked down on this old, unlovable soul that was steeped in sin. And he said, I'm just going to love him anyway. I don't know how he did it. I don't know why he did it. Uh, but I know this. I know that he did it. And I am thankful he did. And if God can love me in an unlovable state, then God can love you. Amen? And God can have you love each other. Love for Christ. Love for Christians. Letter C. Notice. Love for His commandments. Love for His commandments. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me in 1 John 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Boy, this sounds like this morning's message. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. I love this next phrase. And His commandments, they're not grievous, are not grievous. Here's the tie-in to this morning's sermon. Remember? He conserves us with what? His precepts. Remember? By default, if I love Christ, and I have a strong faith in Christ, then what? Then I value this right here. I value His commandments. They are all very important for me. They are all very important for me. Our churches across this country, including this one right here, are filled with people who pick and choose which parts of the Bible they want to follow. You know, there are things in this word that my, my flesh would rather ignore. You know when a revival is going to come to America? when Christians embrace the entire thing. The whole book. All of it. Every last command. We cherish it. We love it. We appreciate it for what it is. We don't pick and choose and make up our own faith. Don't be an idolater as a Christian and worship your own version of religion. No, the whole counsel of God is what we need to keep us in line. And we must read it. We must study it. We must memorize it. We must meditate on it. We must know it inside and out. We must view it as a love letter from God. We must keep. We must guard. We must preserve. We must save. We must honor. We must delight in this book right here. When this becomes our meditation all the day, we love it. We keep it. Boy, then we begin to see God do an incredible work in our hearts. Why? Yes, we love the Christ because He saved us. And yes, we love other Christians because God saved them. But we love the commandments because we know that this is what God has for us to protect us. Christian, do you love your Christ? Do you need to maybe start loving Him a little bit more? Do you love the other Christians? I just show up for the preaching and go home. I don't like talking to people. Well, start talking to people. You need to do that. Amen? Do you love the commandments? Do you value the whole counsel of God? Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us to consider where we're at with that. Lord, if there's somebody here this evening who's not yet put their faith and trust their heart's belief in you. Help them understand that the invitation is open. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Lord, I pray for that soul right now that's watching online at home, or sitting here in the auditorium that's closest to hell, that one who's not yet believed, Lord, help them to do that this evening. Lord, for the rest of us that are saved, help us to be better grounded in our faith. Lord, help us to commit to loving you, loving our fellow believers, loving the book. Lord, give us a deep love for the book. Help us to follow all of it. Lord, when we step out of line, help us to confess it and forsake it. Lord, make us into the image of your son.